Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. It's really great to be here. Can you guys hear me okay if I speak like this loud? Yes, sir. Does that work for everybody? Okay, great. I'm going to move this up just a little bit so I can feel even closer to you. And uh, it's wonderful to be back in Chico. Um, I've been speaking here for a number of years, and I just love meeting all the students. Um, so whether this is your first night or you've been coming here for years, uh, I just want to add my word of welcome. My name is Adam, and one of the reasons I love coming to speak at college groups is because God really changed my life in college. I went to Northern Arizona University, which is very similar to this school in terms of the town it's in and the size. And I went to college um, as a new believer, I think, and God just uh, grew me exponentially in college. So I want to encourage you to take this list of events and just go to everything. Just go to everything. If there's something going on, go. Because one of the ways you grow is just by surrounding yourself with people that um, are aiming their life in a similar direction. This doesn't mean that you only ever hang out with Christians, but it means that Christian community is really important. And it's especially important in college. Think of college as like a spiritual developmental window. It doesn't stay open forever. So just make the most of it. Um, I'm going to be speaking tonight. Thank you, David, for inviting me. And this, this topic that you're doing, the truth about God, um, this is really important. There's a lot of things in life that you can get wrong. God's not one of them. So uh, it's really important that you put a fair bit of thought and deliberation into what you believe about God. And make sure it's what you believe about God. Um, it might not be what your parents believed about God or what your teachers believe about God or what your roommates believe about God. But make sure that it's what God says about God. Um, that's the most important thing. Um, so it is great to be here tonight. Thank you for the introduction. Tanner, great job on your... Uh, where did Tanner go? Oh, okay, there he is. Great job on your testimony. And I love what Tanner said about reading the Bible. Um, if, if for whatever reason you check out from this point till the end, <laughs> which I hope you don't, and all you hear me say is, read your Bible every morning. Really, that's the lifeblood of the Christian walk. Um, my wife and I, uh, as was mentioned, I'm married, been married almost 24 years. My oldest is about to go off to college, so, you know, I'm like a father of a college student now, which is very exciting. But uh, reading the, the Word with my wife, with my kids, it's the greatest memories of my life. I think it's the most impactful thing I've ever done as a father. So I just encourage you, really cement in that habit while you're in college. Um, I'm going to be talking about holiness. So um, hopefully you have one of these handouts um, and you have a pen and you can follow along. Unless you're not a note taker. I'm not a note taker. Uh, I just like to listen. However you learn, just know that if you need uh, something to fill in, uh, it'll be there for you. Let me pray for us and then I'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of communicating your word. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and being known by you. God, thank you for rescuing us from darkness to light. Thank you for adopting us into your home and calling us your children. Thank you for loving us even when we were rebelling against you. God, I don't know where everybody's at tonight. I can't see hearts, but you can. You know what we're thinking. You know our fears. You know our guilt. You know the burdens we carry. And Lord, right now we just lift them up to you and we ask that you would receive them, receive us, as we trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen. My family likes musicals. Any, any other musical people in here? It's a small, maybe, okay, okay, pretty impressive, good. 
Some of you might not have been willing to raise your hand. That's okay too. But who doesn't love the sound of music? I love the sound of music. Love me some uh, the Von Trapp family. And, and you know, there's a scene where Maria is the nun who really shouldn't be a nun. And the, ab- the, 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 the leader, the nun who's over the abbey, the, the, the Nunberg Abbey, is talking with the other nuns, and it's a song because it's a musical. And they're trying to figure out how do you solve a problem like Maria? And they sing the lyrics, how do, you, um, how do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? And the answer is, you don't. And the point is, solving a problem of how to capture and control a free spirit is an unsolvable problem. Defining holiness feels like that. It's, um, it's, a, it's a term that is very hard to nail down. I'm going to do my best tonight to, uh, to help us understand what holiness is and why it matters, where it comes from, and how you practice it. That's kind of a roadmap of where we're going. Holiness is a word that has, a great, has great meaning. But it's kind of like a hike. Any hikers in here? If you want to enjoy a really good view from the top of a peak, it's possible, but it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. Holiness. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to swim in the, sh- the deep water tonight. Holiness is one of those concepts that if you'll put in the effort and if you'll apply your God-given reason to the idea of holiness, the views are spectacular, but it's going to take a little bit of work to get there. So holiness, let me just give you what I consider to be the most accessible definition, is purity. It's absolute purity. No flaws, no imperfections, no failure, no disappointment, no shortcomings. Holiness is the absence of anything bad, anything wicked, anything unjust, anything that doesn't live up to the hype. Holiness is all good, no bad. And so this is, this is something that you should care about. And, and in fact, you do care about it, whether you know or not. Holiness is a universal value. Holiness is a universal value. Every culture, every tribe, tongue, language longs for holiness. We all want to think that we are good. We all want to think that, 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 we are, uh, that we're pure. I mean, nobody likes to feel guilty. Nobody likes to feel ashamed. And so we go to great lengths to defend ourselves, even when we know we're wrong. Have you ever been in a situation where you know you're wrong, but you just can't admit that you're wrong? And you're like, what is wrong with me? Well, you're just like me. You want to make yourself look good. You want to justify yourself, defend yourself. And uh, there's, a, there's an author named Paul David Tripp. He calls it lawyering up. All of us lawyer up. A roommate comes in and says, hey, did you eat my pizza? It was in the fridge and it had my name on it. And you're like, well, well you know, last week you ate what, was, what I had in the fridge. And what you're doing is you're lawyering up and you're defending yourself and you're saying, I'm good. I'm not bad. Why? Because holiness is a universal value. And every culture has some story about what's wrong and what can be done to make it Right. That, that's called redemption. Something wrong made right. That's redemption. We long for redemption. 
Humans long for redemption. Every good story is about redemption because deep inside we want to lose guilt, we want to be rid of shame, and we want to be free from whatever we consider to be impurity. We want holiness. Water is a big business, don't you think? And you go to buy water. I got a family, my wife, four kids. It's pretty common on a road trip. It's like, uh, we stop and get water. I don't know, people are way more hydration conscious than they ever have been. So I go into the store and it's like water. It's like paralysis of overanalysis. But it's amazing how much money we spend on water and we want water that doesn't have any contaminants. We want pure water. And if you go to buy cotton sheets, you want 100% cotton sheets. And if you get olive oil, if you do any cooking, you want 100% E-V-O-O, extra virgin olive oil. You don't want mostly free trade coffee. You want totally free trade coffee. We value goodness, humans value goodness without any mixture of whatever we perceive to be bad. So you don't want partially organic anything. You want totally organic. Why? Because holiness is a human value. All good, no bad. But here's the question. Where does this universal value come from? It doesn't come from our DNA. It doesn't come from the universe. It comes from God. Humans are created in God's image And there's one of the bits of evidence that you just walk around with you for God's existence is your desire from holiness. You want it for yourselves and you demand it from others. Whatever you perceive to be impurity, you want it for yourselves and you demand it for others because you are made in God's image and God is the standard of holiness. That's the second point on my handout. God is the standard of holiness. You could also say he's the source of holiness. Both work. God is the standard of holiness. Now, to make this point, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. If you don't, that's okay. I'll read something to you. Isaiah 6 is uh, an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah who is writing, um, he starts out chapter 6, verse 1, by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died which you might think that's just a superfluous bit of historical information. Well, no, it's really important. King Uzziah had reigned for like 60 years. Do you remember when King or Queen Elizabeth just died? Do you remember that was in the news? And when they interviewed people, people said, she's the, I wish I could do a good British accent, but I can't. She's the only queen I ever knew. Well, people in Isaiah's day would have said, King Uzziah is the only king I ever knew. And he's dead. And if you've ever had your world like around someone, like someone's really important in your world and they die, you start to go, where do I look? Where do I look for stability, for hope, for purpose? And in the year that King Uzziah died, it's pretty important, says in verse one, I, that's Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
And so holiness comes from God. It summarizes God. And the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. So when you live your life looking at things in the earth that are awe-inspiring, whether it's cherry blossoms or sunsets or um, artworks or beautiful music, when you perceive beauty, your mind is supposed to be drawn to the source of beauty and God is the source of all good things. And so we call this sum total of God's goodness his holiness. All good, no bad. No mixture of bad. He's all good. There's a guy named Jonathan Edwards and he described God's holiness like this. Holiness is the very beauty and loveliness of God himself. It is the excellence of his excellencies. The beauty of his beauties. If you, if you are someone who loves beauty, you should love God because God is the source of beauty. All good, no bad. So holiness is the sum total of all that is good and right and true. And it is written on our hearts to pursue and long for and value and prize holiness. And we do long for what is pure and beautiful and good. But the problem is we don't find it in the world. Like you're created, the Bible says, to long for holiness and beauty and goodness. So you're like on a quest, a search for these things, but you won't find it in the world. And you won't find it in yourself. Number three, we fall short of God's holiness. We fall short of God's holiness. The Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and fall short of God's holiness. That's Romans 3.23. All that is bad in the world. Look, we live in a world where there are a lot of things that are wrong. If I were to say to you, take out a piece of paper, pop quiz, I won't do it, but if I did, and the pop quiz was, write something down that's wrong with the world. It would probably take you like 0.5 seconds to write something down. Because the world is filled with evidence that sin exists. God created humans good. He created the world good. But God warned humans, if you sin, you're going to be separated from me and you're going to experience death. God warned humanity. But the first human sinned and then the second human sinned. And on down through the history of humanity, here we are in 2023, and what do we do? We sin. We do things that we know are wrong. We make our own rules and then cross our own lines. I'll never do that again. I'll do it again next weekend. I'll never say that, and then we say it. I'm sorry, and then we do it again. We, we break our own boundaries, let alone God's boundaries. Is there anyone here that's never lied, never taken something that doesn't belong to you, never lusted, never wanted what someone else had, never been so consumed with what you don't have that you fail to appreciate all the good stuff that God has given you? We've all been there. We're all guilty. And if holiness is all good, no bad, then there's nothing you'll find in the world that is holy and there's nothing you'll find in yourself, in and of yourself, that's holy. And there's a couple different ways you can respond to that. When I say holiness doesn't live out there, it doesn't live in here, 
but we value it, we long for it, we're created for it. The Bible says God has put eternity in the hearts of man. So we're created to long for it, but we won't find it. There's only a couple ways we can deal with that. The fact that we're not holy. We can either accept it or we can deny it or we can try to fix it. And every religion that exists in the world other than Christianity is, is a, some kind of self-improvement plan where you are responsible to fix the problem of your own unholiness. And so you can deny it and pretend you don't need forgiveness or redemption or salvation, or you can try and fix it and do better. But you and I both know it's only a matter of time before you mess up, cross your own lines, break your own vows, do something wrong, and then you find yourself black in that same familiar place of guilt and shame. But here's the good news. God didn't create you to live there. God didn't create you to exist in a state of guilt and shame and remorse and regret. The good news before Easter is that Jesus died to make us holy. That's my next point. Christ makes us holy. He makes us holy. Christianity is not a self-improvement plan. It's not 10 steps to a better you. Christianity is God comes to a, a, a human race that is unholy, not particularly concerned with their unholiness, not particularly alarmed, lost. The Bible's term is lost. Only the worst kind of lost. Lost where you don't even know you're lost. The Bible uses the term dead. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. God comes to humanity, seeks us, finds us, saves us. Jesus makes us holy. If somebody says, why do you believe in Jesus? As opposed to any other self-professed deities say, because Jesus makes me holy. Jesus did something in history to prove that he has the power to actually make me holy. He died. He said, I'm going to die and rise again. And then he died. And on the third day, he rose again. He did exactly what he said he would do, which no other religious leader, no other religious teacher, no other guru has ever done, died and rose again on the third day. Never happened. The good news is the gospel that you've sinned and you can't solve your own problem you can't balance the scales. You can't scrub yourself clean. But Jesus, who was God in the flesh, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died a willing sacrifice to take the punishment for our sin, went into the grave, came out on the third day, so that by faith in him, faith alone, we can be made holy. Jesus gives us what we want. Have you ever heard that the gospel is a free gift of salvation? Jesus gives us what we want, what deep in our soul we want. We want purity. We want forgiveness. We want what's wrong to be made white, right. We want redemption. We want to know that all the things we're ashamed of, that the God of the universe whose glory is on display, that that God, on the day we meet that God and we will meet that God, that that God will say, I welcome you into my presence. Well, how can a holy God welcome into his presence that which is not holy? Well, we have to be made holy, and that's what Jesus does. Jesus makes us holy. There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 7. This is at the height of Jesus' popularity. Jesus has thousands of people following him. Can I use kind of a modern-day term? Jesus is an international celebrity. People are following him everywhere he goes, and there's a, a leader named Simon. 
And Simon says, Jesus, will you come to my house? And Jesus says, I'll come to your house. So Simon throws a party and Jesus is the guest. Can you imagine throwing a party and whoever is your international celebrity favorite person in the world comes to your house? Wouldn't you want everything to be perfect? And Jesus comes in and everybody's having a good time and Simon feels great because everybody thinks Simon's great. And then a woman comes in and she kind of ruins things for Simon. She comes in with a, a bottle of oil. That's weird, what's this lady doing? And then she falls down on the ground. What's she doing? Then she starts to cry. He's thinking, what is happening? And she lets down her hair, which you might think, big deal. Really big deal in first century Middle Eastern culture. Even a big deal in many places today. To let down your hair is very intimate. She lets down her hair and she starts to wipe Jesus' feet. Not with the oil she brought. That plan is out the window. With her, with her tears, she is crying on Jesus' feet because she knows that Jesus can save her. Jesus can make her pure. Because one of the things that the text tells us is that she was known throughout town for her sin. We don't know what sin it was. We just know that she was from the town and everybody knew. I, I don't know if you've ever, if ever been in a situation where like you do something wrong, maybe you embarrass yourself, something happens and you know everybody knows it. You can't hide it. Well, this woman doesn't hide it. She comes to Jesus because she knows, Jesus, you can solve my problem. You can make me holy. And Simon gets mad and Jesus confronts Simon. But he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the point is not that tonight you feel burdened and leave burdened. That's not the point. The point of tonight is that you feel burdened and leave unburdened. That by looking to Jesus and seeing that he is holy and that he died to make you clean, that by looking to him and falling in your heart before him as Lord of your life, he would say to you, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Maybe you didn't come in peace, but I have good news for you. You can leave in peace. Lastly, in Christ, we can walk in holiness. So the holiness that Jesus gives us isn't some esoteric state. It's actually something that people should be able to see in our life. When Jesus was on earth, people knew he was different. And when Jesus called disciples, do, do, do anybody know how he called them? He had this really catchy marketing phrase. Anybody remember it? Follow me. Follow me. And people were like, I want to follow Jesus. And so they knew something was different about Jesus. And Jesus says, if you follow me, something will be different about you. Why? Because the moment you believe in Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit enters into you as a deposit guaranteeing your future inheritance. So every believer has the Spirit, and every believer that has the Spirit is guaranteed to receive the fullness of the victory that Jesus purchased on the cross. You can't earn it, and you can't lose it. That's good news. That's really good news. And so God doesn't just declare us to be forgiven, but He actually changes us so that in this life we experience more of His holiness in our life. This is why this word repentance is so beautiful. One of the most beautiful words ever spoken in any language is the word repentance, which means to turn from sin. 
before Jesus entered your life, you could not turn from sin. Oh, maybe once, maybe twice. Maybe you promised and you, did, you, got, you got a week under your belt. But there was no lasting change. And one of the most serious evidences that you really are following Jesus, that he really has entered into you, is that you see substantial change. Not perfection, not perfection, but pattern. The pattern of your life starts to change as you walk with Jesus. So there's a 16th century French philosopher named Blaise Pascal. And Blaise Pascal says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Everybody in here is seeking happiness. And whatever you do, you might do one thing and you might do something else. But both of you do, in some cases, the opposite thing, but for the same reason. Everybody in here wants to be happy. And we want to be happy because God created us to find happiness. The problem is not that we seek happiness. The problem is we seek it in the wrong places. The, pro the, the promise of the gospel is that if you seek happiness in God, you will actually find it. You'll actually find it. The happiness that the world has to offer is a mirage. You guys know what a mirage is? A mirage is something you think is there and then you go after it, but, it, but it's an illusion. That's all the happiness of the world. And then when you aim your life at finding happiness in God, this amazing thing happens. You abandon the things that led to your shame and you receive the one thing, God himself, that can actually make you happy. And in the process, you find that holiness is your happiness. Holiness is your happiness. So how do you walk in holiness? Let me give you some practical suggestions. Let me say at the outset, none of this is fancy. It's not about fancy, it's about faithful. Don't aim at fancy, aim at faithful. Start your day off by listening to God. How do I listen to God? Open the Bible, read, it's his word. Listen to him, take it seriously. Pray and ask God to give you wisdom. Everybody in here has something going on and you don't have a clue what to do because the problems of life are bigger than you and you don't have the internal re resources to handle what life will throw at you, all right? But God does and God will give you wisdom. So you can do one of two things. You can either stress out and be anxious or you can say, God, there's something in my life. It's bigger than me. It's not bigger than you. I need wisdom. You said to ask for wisdom. You'll give me wisdom. And when you do this, confess your sins. Say, Lord, there's this thing in my life that needs to go out because you're holy. And the Bible says you are holy, so we need to be holy. So this means that we want to grow in ways that reflect God's character. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Find other people that are further along than you and hang out with them. Have you ever heard of a philosopher named Aristotle? Aristotle's pretty famous in the history of ideas. And Aristotle makes this staggering observation that habits are something we cultivate by learning them from people who possess them. So if you lack the habit of like eating well and you hang out with people that are always making like Taco Bell runs at three in the morning, probably you will not cultivate the habit of healthy eating around those people. They're good people. They're not going to help you there. And you're at a place in life where you can grab somebody and say, I see something in you that I aspire to be like and, 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 and hang out with them and learn from them as they follow Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And trust yourself to Jesus as the king of your life. If you've never done that tonight, 
invite Jesus into your life. You know, Simon invited Jesus into his house, but he didn't invite Jesus in as the Lord. He invited Jesus in as a visitor. Hey, have you ever invited somebody into your house as a visitor? Don't we all do this? We're like, hey, welcome into my house or my apartment. This is where you can stay. But it's like, don't go in that room. And if you do go in that room, don't open those drawers. Because there are parts of our life we don't want other people to see. Maybe it's like the bathroom in the back of the house, like use the guest bathroom. That, this is clean and that's not. So we've got this image we want to project. And the woman who falls down at Jesus' feet, she invites Jesus into her life, not as a visitor, but as the Lord. She doesn't say, Jesus, welcome into my house. Welcome into my house. Hang out in the family room. That's for you, but the bedroom's for me. She says, Jesus, come into my house. And the family room is yours. And the kitchen is yours. And the closet is yours. And under the bed is yours. And you can pull out the drawers. In fact, I want you to pull out the drawers and bring light and cleanliness where there is filth and disgust in my life. Come to Jesus, not as a visitor. Not as some ornament to your already good life. But as the Lord of your life who can make you holy. Yukon Huskies beat the San Diego Aztecs. I mean, I see some people that are happy about that. I was going to say, does anybody in California, I guess Northern California, does anybody care? But you must have done well on your, on your bracket, apparently. You're very excited about that. Good for you. Well, I know what a Husky is. Do you know what, the Az- Do you know what an Aztec is? So an Aztec is an ancient Mesoamerican people. Much about their culture is, is noble. Their religion is tragic. They had a religion, if you ever go to parts of... Uh, Parts of South America and Mexico, there are ancient structures. They look like pyramids. People stand in front of them and they take selfies. But what happened on the pyramids was they would slaughter hundreds sometimes of men, women, and children and animals because they believed that the gods must be constantly appeased with continual sacrifice in order to achieve purity. You can read about it. It's almost too difficult to even talk about. But I'm thankful tonight that God doesn't need any sacrifice from you. He did it all himself. He became the sacrifice. He gave himself as the sacrifice for your sin once for all. Nobody else needs to shed their blood so that you can be forgiven and redeemed and made holy so that you can actually walk in his holiness and experience true happiness by reflecting his holy character. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and I just wanna encourage you, if you have questions about that, um, or you're here tonight and you're like, I've never done that. I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. I've never trusted him to come. I've never given him my life. You can do that tonight. Somebody would love to talk to you about that. You came burdened, don't leave burdened. Receive within your soul those words. You are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory for your work, the work of the cross, the work of the empty tomb, saving us, delivering us, giving us salvation. Lord, it's, our hearts just leap within us. The news is so good. We can be forgiven tonight forever. We can be made pure. We can have our shame and our guilt taken away because Jesus didn't die for his sin. He died for my sin.
Lord, I pray that each person here would just in their heart relate to you um, as their Savior and as their Lord, that you would do that work within them to bring about saving faith and new birth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.